our whole strategy was to buy value add deals and be able to refinance them at some point between now and 2026 to provide some cash out mechanism both through the refinance or through just earning money on the deal so that investors can use that to pay their tax liability that is coming up. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney. So we are back again today with Dave Codera, and we're diving into opportunity zones. What are opportunity zones? Is that something I should be considering or you? Does it present an opportunity in the near future for buyers like us and maybe like yourself? As a passive investor, what should you be thinking about if you are investing with an operator that's looking at opportunity zones? There's some things in here that you need to be aware of over the next few years as you are making those decisions now. Thank you again for being with us another day. We are back with Dave today. I hope you will go back and listen to the last two days of shows. Man, he, he has just been provided so much content about how he got started, even as a senior in high school, to even more recently, asset classes that he's got into that were maybe weren't the original focus and why and advantages of multifamily heading into 2023 and reserve budgets and how he looks at those. And and I know you've learned a lot and I hope that you're going to stick around today. I'm grateful to have Dave back. Welcome, Dave. All right. Thanks, Whitney. Excited to keep the conversation going here. Yeah. You know, Dave, you are doing a lot in opportunity zones and it's something that I have not heard as much on the show about lately. I know what a year or so ago, or maybe a little longer, it seems like we were talking about them a lot, but it's interesting to, to dive back in. And, and So why don't you give us a highlight though? What is opportunity zone? What a qualified opportunity zone? Yeah. What is that for the listeners that have never heard this before? Maybe why they should know what this is. Well, yeah, I mean, opportunity zones came out really in 2019 and there was a lot of information and then the pandemic hit and it's kind of slowed down the conversation about are these good opportunities? You know, what is the opportunity zone? Should we be there? A lot of that kind of like, I think it fizzled out a, a little bit. But, you know, we touched base too about just being in the game and, and being in real estate. And that's where you kind of identify opportunities. We found out about these in 2019. We were, we were purchasing some big value add multifamily deals. And the opportunity zone legislation came out where it was like, hey, if you just buy these with, purely capital gains from anything. They could be stock sales, other real estate sales, any capital gains you have. You could defer all those capital gains and invest them into an asset that's in this opportunity zone as long as you improve it. We were already going to do that anyways. We already had these deals teed up to do. They were big value-add multifamily deals. So like, perfect. We'll just use capital gain dollars outside of a 1031. You know, I think a lot of people are familiar with the 1031 exchange. You, you didn't have to do the 1031. You could purely sell your asset, take those capital gains, and purchase a real estate asset with it and defer all your taxes. So there was a good deferral mechanism in there, but those taxes do come due in 2026. No matter how that real estate deal performs that you purchased in 2019, those taxes still come due in 2026. So, yeah, I wanted to point out there, you know, you mentioned defer the taxes. It didn't mean you don't have to pay them, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> the, the government didn't just say, oh, you don't have to pay anything anymore. It's like they just deferred them until 2026. So government looking at that, and it's at whatever, you know, the rate was, the capital gains rate at the time. It's, it's a little bit dependent on your personal tax bracket, but you've got a chunk between 15 and 23% of tax liability that was deferred to 2026, that in 2026, no matter what happens with that real estate deal, 
you're going to have to make that tax payment on it. So our whole strategy was to buy value-add deals and be able to refinance them at some point between now and 2026 to provide some cash-out mechanism, both through the refinance or through just earning money on the deal, so that investors can use that to pay their tax liability that is coming up. So I don't know if that's going to work out on all deals that were done in the Opportunity Zone, though, across the board. So I think there's definitely some some opportunities outside of the the original thesis of buy and hold long-term where people are going to have to make tax payments coming up in 2026 and how close do they want to get to 2026 before they know if they have that cash or not. Yeah. I've not heard many people talk about this. If, if anybody, now that I'm thinking about it, about that being an opportunity, right? The, you know, 26 is coming up, man, like you said, they're going to have to sell over the next couple of years or do something to generate the cash to pay the taxes. Right. And so, man, maybe that's an opportunity for, for buying. Right. Right. It might not be that they might, someone might've done an opportunity zone deal and it's performing well, but they have this tax liability, so they have to sell something else. So right now we see that with people having to place 1031 money where they said, hey, I had this big gain. Well, potentially the opposite coming up is, you know, one thing when you're looking at, if you're just in the real estate space, you're trying to identify what could happen out there and, and where are there going to be some headwinds, that's probably one of them that'll come up is there are going to have to be some tax payments coming up in the 25, 26 years that that people should try and get ahead of and make sure they're ready for it. So even though that's that's probably after the current mindset of like, what are we going to do if there's a recession, like in the immediate three to six month timeframe? So, but that's two things right after one another that are probably going to create buying opportunities. Yeah, for sure. Well, I wanted us to back up just a little bit though about just opportunity zones in general. And maybe you could elaborate on some of the risks, you know, involved in doing maybe an opportunity zone fund that we haven't talked about, but then maybe also why you would as well. Maybe other potential opportunities that we haven't talked about that, you know, would encourage you to do an opportunity zone fund. So yeah. kind of risk reward, help us walk through some of that a little bit. If you think about multifamily was really set up perfectly for the opportunity zone legislation where it's saying if you purchase an asset and whatever you bought it for, you had to double your investment in that to qualify for the tax deferral. That lends itself very well to multifamily assets where you're buying an older vintage and you're going in and doing unit upgrades and you're doing some exterior work. It's relatively easy to double your basis in a multifamily asset just with the renovations that can be done. A lot of that is a good opportunity, but I mean, there's risk with any renovation project that you do. So sometimes if you're looking at, hey, I'm going to make this investment, you want to make sure you're doing it because it's a good actual investment, not just because it's going to defer some taxes. There's no point in taking on outsized risk to defer taxes in something that's not going to work. So opportunity zones, I mean, they're all over the US. Every city, for the most part, has somewhere. And it's a good thing to look at. Even now, when you're buying any deal, if you're going to do capital improvements, like, is it in one of these opportunity zones? It's it's a pretty easy way to ensure that you can defer some taxes that are going into it through 2026. But overall, sometimes there's a deal that's pitched like, hey, this is an opportunity zone deal and therefore that just makes it good. That's not the case. You still got to underwrite and make sure the deal is in your skill set, in your wheelhouse of what you know how to execute on. Or if you're the passive side, you're an LP investor, make sure that you know, you're underwriting a deal and looking at it, that it makes sense from a deal standpoint, not just from the tax standpoint. 
any changes since 2019 that we haven't talked about that maybe the listeners should be aware of? Uh, in Since 2019, they first rolled out the maps. They redid some of the maps a little bit where they added areas and contracted areas. So if you would zoom in to very specific citywide information, like sometimes this block was in, this block got moved out of it. It's almost like redistricting, you know, kind of, but like some areas moved a little bit on the maps, which is important to look at. So there, there might've been some that were created that were new in the 2020, 2021 that you can go take advantage of right now as well. We've done that in Atlanta where we looked at areas that kind of got added when they did the revision of the maps and we were able to buy deals based on that. It was helpful. What about your vision for 2026 and your projects, your fund? What does that look like? How are you preparing for 2026? The tax standpoint where when we did our deals, we did six deals that were in this format, speaking with our investors, knowing that, hey, by 2025, we have to make essentially at least a 20% distribution of capital. And we plan to do that through refinancing between sometime now and then. And I, I mentioned on some of our other stuff too, like we're doing mostly lower leveraged debt and we are doing principal payments on all of our debt as well. So with the math works on our standpoint, when we're just holding that asset through 2026, that we'll be able to pay down enough principal that we could, we could then pull that money back out to refinance and distribute that to our LPs so that they can make those tax payments. So we've mapped out the investment strategy of that deal to coincide with the tax planning of it. So really have a deal where we have a three, four year cash flow plan, and then we plan to hold them past that. So you're looking at a deal cycle that's for the most part, 10 years. And for a lot of times, that's hard to kind of wrap your head around and say, we're going to make a 10 year commitment to this one piece of real estate for this fund. But we made sure going into that, all of our investors were aligned with that decision process. So with that alignment and that transparency, we've been able to have a pretty good cash flow plan to manage that over the next 10 years. Any fear from, say, the team or investors that, hey, recession's coming, debt's so expensive, are we going to be able to refi like we planned so they can get their capital, pay their taxes? How do you think through that? Yeah, certainly. You know, we had one of our Opportunity Zone deals that we... We had a loan that was set to expire in 2023. And we started, we started on this in early 2022. And that's kind of rates were starting, starting to hear like, hey, these are going to start going up. And then it, it took us almost seven months to fully get that refinance done because we were in the middle of doing the renovation work. So you can't get a great stabilized loan on a renovation project. You've got to actually finish and rent everything out. So we were able to do that. It kind of came down to the wire and... Ultimately, in the end, we were not able, we only have 50% leverage on that deal. We're not able to get any cash out now, but by not having too much leverage, we were able to ensure we did have debt. And then by the time 2025 comes around, we'll have paid off enough that we can, you know, distribute greater than 20% of the equity so they can make their tax payments. So it only was able to, to work if we had too much leverage that that would not have worked as smoothly as it did going back to investors and saying, hey, we... We can only refinance with a 50%. We had 70%, 80% construction debt going into that. We would have been in a pickle, to say the least. I think it goes, so yeah, so definitely some fear around that. But yeah. yeah. I think it goes back to our last conversation too, and just being prepared for recession and proper reserves. And you know, you had mentioned it, you know, 50% leverage across this fund. And I, I just think that's a that's a great place to be in. And, and unfortunately, it's not 
the common, uh, it's not the common place to be in with, you know, having 50% leverage and that kind of reserve budget. And so I think that's just set you all up for a lot of success and, and being diligent and conservative and sticking to your guns about that. Well, Dave, I want to jump to a few final questions before we have to end this segment as well. And it's just been great to learn about Opportunity Zones and dive in there as well. Because like I said, we've not talked about it much over the last little bit. And so it's great for the listeners and you know, active and past investors to be aware of that and maybe potential opportunities like you're talking about coming up. And, and so I want to ask you, you know, what's been your best source for, say, meeting new investors at the moment for Greenleaf? You know, starting a while ago now, it's been quite a few years, our best source of meeting new investors is really the old style of going out and meeting people. It's not as scalable as like an internet marketing campaign. That's for sure, right? But it does enable us to have great relationships with those people. So we're doing you know, meetings in different cities throughout the year where we go meet with our, our current investors and prospective investors. And typically when we're doing something, if we're able to provide transparency and value to our investors beyond the simple, you, know, you send me a check and I'll send you a check back, right? Beyond that side of the transaction, we're able to get a lot of referrals from within our network. So the majority of our growth is, is fueled by referrals, not from advertising or not from any other source really. But that's been time of spending with people and building those relationships where you're able to provide them value simply beyond that check that you're sending back each quarter. What's a big challenge you're facing you know, right now in the business? It's more, you're hearing a lot more headwinds that are going to happen. The past you know, six, seven years, there's been a lot of tailwinds in the real estate industry where any kind of decision could get covered up because everything was doing so well. And now when we face some headwinds, whether it's from population movement, interest rates, what's going to happen with cap rate expansion, you, you got a lot of different headwinds that have to be navigated and trying to be transparent about that with your investors and even with your team and yourself around like, look, these are some of the, these are some of the things that we're going to face. We got to be able to make good decisions going through this. I think Rate increases, any loan that's coming due in 2023 is going to be a challenge. You're going to be looking at paying significantly more in debt service going ahead. And I think also, you know, we've started to see some of the banks are certainly pulling back on their, you know, the leverage that they're willing to give out. So there's a good article from the Runs Fundrise, but talking about how banks are essentially, you know, they have their capital requirements that they have to maintain. With rates going up, you're seeing capital at banks, like our deposits at banks. People are taking those and putting them in treasuries or people are taking those and putting them in other assets, which reduces the cash at a bank and then reduces the amount that they can loan out. So 2023 kind of has higher rates and less available debt in the market. So I think there's going to be some challenges around what that looks like. I feel like we've been preparing for rising rates for a while. So our first loan maturity. We have some stuff in 2024, but the majority of our loans are you know, over four years out and our average debt is at like 3.2%. So everything we have is fixed principal paying long-term, which I'm happy about that position, but I think 2023, anything coming up there is, you know, it's going to be some hard work to get those deals to pencil out and, and keep going. What's the number working. one thing that's contributed to your success? I think not quitting. It's maybe as simple as that sounds, but just not quitting and, and knowing like, look, you're going to get through stuff. You're going to work through it. You're going to figure it out and just keep going. A lot of the times in the, in the operating side of the business, right? Anytime you buy a deal, it's always like, there's so much energy and excitement. 
But as soon as you buy a deal, you now own that deal. And that's when you, you, know, you can run into you know, one hurdle after another. And knowing that you're there with your team to help solve these problems. And that's really where the kind of roll up your sleeves and get the stuff done and figure it out. And not quitting and making sure you can get through all that stuff is key. You can run into some hurdles and you're like, I do not want to have to do this one. Broken pipes in the middle of the night, all that kind of stuff. It happens. You just got to gotta not quit. Just go figure it out. How do you like to give back? I think anyone that, that meets people throughout this process, it's much easier to do things as a team. And I was lucky to meet uh, my business partner here in Atlanta, who he actually started a summer camp when he was in high school. So I was buying real estate in high school. He started a summer camp. And we do a summer camp through Greenleaf that's free for our residents at some of our communities. We can't, we're too spread out to do it all at one place. But for some of our residents, we have a summer camp that we run where the kids kids come for free. And, and we have pretty much everyone in our team volunteers in some capacity to be there and, and help out and give these kids an experience that for the most part, they might not have. They're certainly not going to have it for free. But we try and do that. And we're, and we're trying to grow that through, we started a foundation. We're trying to grow that each year. And you know, if we can just add a day or two every summer for these kids, eventually, if we look out five, 10 years, we'll have a multi-week summer camp that we can operate. So we're excited about doing that. That's one of the things we love. And it's always fun to do stuff with with kids and see them smiling and interacting with everyone in the community. That's awesome. Uh, Dave, I'm grateful to have had you on the show and grateful for just you know spending this much time with the listeners and myself just your willingness to give back in that way and be so transparent and just lay out many things of getting started to reserve budgets to opportunity zones. I mean, we've talked about a lot and I know the listeners have learned a lot. Tell them again how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, my contact information, it's on greenleafmanagement.com. My whole team is there. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn at Dave Kodrak. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 